something that I really struggle with is also adopting the mentality of sharing your own perspective without fear of judgment. Hey everyone, welcome back to University. I'm Anne-Marie Ceresso, your host. On today's show, we welcome Sophie Barron, the founder and CEO of The Conversationalist, a multimedia content platform and community designed to empower young people everywhere to have conversations that matter. See, here's the thing about Sophie. Sophie always knew that she wanted to make a difference and do good in the world, but she didn't always have her voice. And once upon a time, she thought she needed others to give her a platform to solve the problems that she saw in the world. So in this conversation, Sophie tells us how her childhood shaped who she is today and what it was like growing up as the only Jewish kid in her school in Wichita, Kansas, and how it all led her to the work she's doing today. Let's pop in and see what she has to say. I've spent my whole life here in the Midwest and eventually wandered to the East Coast for college, but really spent most of my upbringing feeling like I didn't have a voice. I was the only Jewish student in my grade and largely my city until my siblings joined the high school. But really, I just felt so much of my life feeling out of place and wanting to conform and be like everyone else. I couldn't understand why I had to be different. Um, And in a place like Wichita, it was hard to really be different. I just wanted to fade into the background, fit in, but there was something about me that just was different than everyone else. And so I spent my whole upbringing trying to figure out how I could make a difference and go out into the world as me, as Sophie, but didn't really feel like I had the autonomy to go out and make a difference. I think I was waiting for others around me to give me permission and say go, but really the, the person that was in my way was myself. And so I started to learn so much about me the minute I got to college. Um, But really my entire upbringing in the Midwest really formed who I am in, in highlighting some of the, the reasons for why I'm doing the work I'm doing now. I love that you said so many things. I love that you said, but um, the one that's like, sticking out in my mind is I got in my own way, or how I got in the way of myself. So tell us a little bit, how did you get in the way of your own self? To be totally honest, I very much still am in my own way. Me too. (laughs) It's human nature, but at the same time, it's something I'm really trying to work on because at the end of the day, I feel like once I get to the end of my life, I will be so disappointed if even I wasn't on my own side. So I'm trying to work through that. But I think in growing up, it was a matter of really knowing that what I wanted to do in the world was do good. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to help others. And in feeling like I was really setting out in the world to do something great, I was able to slowly start lowering the volume of other people's voices in the back of my head. But largely, I didn't realize that until I got to college. Growing up in Wichita, I was really looking for the accredited leadership position, you know, student body president, the lead in the musical. I auditioned for everything. I wanted to be out there. I was a risk taker, but I was never afforded an official leadership position. And so I really felt like I had to wait on others to give me that platform to share my voice Ah. and solve the problems that I saw in the world. That's so interesting because now I see you, you're such a leader. 
now. Thank you. I mean, that's who you are in the world right now. You have activated so many things in the world uh, between all your different organizations. You finally decided to just step into it. Like you don't need the permission of anyone else. You can just take it. And I think that's something that I'm learning now. And thank you for saying that. I just don't think growing up in the Midwest, I was really taught that. And I just wanted to fit in. But at the same time, I tried being a leader. I, I think really the first time I realized that I had a voice was in running for student body president and student representative. I wanted to be on student government affecting change. I lost every year for a host of different reasons that we don't have to go into. But what I ended up doing was taking a step back and realizing the problems that I really wanted to solve at my school and realizing that I didn't need to be on student government to make that change. And so I actually sat down with our principal and had a conversation and Mm. talked about the smallest change I could even make to start out, which was the way student elections were run in our high school and effectively changed the entire election system without being in that official body of student leaders. Mm. So I think in speaking up, setting up that meeting, having a conversation and putting myself out there, I was able to start realizing that I actually, I do have a voice and that my voice matters. And then I took that to the next level once I got to the East Coast. But what even gave you the inspiration and the courage for that first step? Because that's a hard first step. It's a really hard first step. And to be honest, I'm not quite sure. I was a senior. I felt like I was eventually going to be leaving Wichita and I wanted to do something. I felt like I had been waiting around for so long for someone else's permission to Mm -hmm. say go. And something inside of me just at the end of the day cared more about Mm -hmm. the problems I was trying to solve than the judgment from my peers that might come from it or anything else that would come along with speaking up and having a voice. So I just went for it. But I think it was way easier said than done. And it took me till senior year to do so. Which, like, let's be serious here. You're still only 17 or 18 years old in senior year. That's still pretty early in life. I mean, one of the things you said is I get in my own way and I'm still doing it. You know, I'm 50. I still get in my own way. This is human nature. Like, this is what we're up against. I read on your website that you consider yourself a unifier. Tell me, what does that mean to you? I went through this incredible transformative leadership program with one of my closest mentors, Rich Keller. And his whole philosophy is that what we do is not who we are, Mm -hmm. but rather who we are should inform what we do. And the more we can become aligned with who we are and our values, we can make a difference in the world. And so in going through his program, I was able to figure out that through all of my life experiences, through every space that I choose to enter, through any program I initiate, I am a unifier. And that means everything I try to do in my life involves bringing people together, trying to make the world feel smaller, and helping others realize our shared humanity. And so in that realization, I was able to reshift the work that I was doing to further align my line of work with my value of being a unifier. And so that was really a large impetus in establishing my new company, The Conversationalist. Yes, which I, I'm really excited to talk to you about because I love what you're doing with the conversationalist. Before we get into that, can you like look back on your life and see when the unifier part of you first started to come alive? In the actual leadership development program where I found this out about myself, you have to reflect back on 
what you said you wanted to be when you grew up, when you were younger. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize this for a second, but through Rich's analysis, I wrote a lot about how when I was little, I used to tell everyone around me that I was going to be first woman president. It was a mantra. Everyone around me, my parents, friends, my grandparents, they all thought that I was going to become first woman president because I told them about it every time I saw them. And that has, of course, (laughs) since evolved. And I'm no longer interested in (laughs) pursuing governmental affairs. But (laughs) what Rich was able to realize was taking a step back and seeing the forest from the trees and understanding that the role of a president is to unify the people. And so even from such a young age, without even knowing it, I was aligning what I hoped my future would look like with that unifying value. Oh, that's cool. That evolved throughout my life. I was always the person, you know, bringing friend groups together, friends together from different areas of my life, putting new groups together. And so I really just consider myself a unifier through and through. And so when I introduce myself, I oftentimes try to use that at the forefront of my intro rather than saying I'm the founder of The Conversationalist because that is true. But first and foremost, I am who I am, which is a unifier. One of the questions I like to ask when I'm doing these interviews is what makes you you? And I think unifier is one of the things that makes you uniquely you. And then I also ask to name three qualities you would use to describe yourself. So aside from unifier, what are two other qualities you would use to describe yourself? I would probably say communicator, Mm. if that goes along the lines of a unifier. I really pride myself in my communication skills, and I use that in a lot of the work that we do, whether it's with my team or our community and the platform we're building. It's all about communication and restoring communication for our generation, which has largely lost some of those capabilities. So definitely communicator. And number two, I have to say empathy and being an empathizer. I really try to put myself in other shoes and understand where people are coming from in any given scenario. And that has helped me as well in my line of work and really trying to establish more and more conversations amongst young people is trying to help young adults flex that empathy muscle and really approach any situation or any conversation with that empathy lens. Yeah. And so at UPenn, when you were at UPenn, as a sophomore, you started something called Table Talk. And now you've started the conversationalist. Um, I want to know, this is your mission, right? You've been doing this for many, many years. It's like in your blood. Tell me about Table Talk and then how that's inspired you to do what you're now doing with the conversationalist. The minute I landed on Penn's campus my freshman year, I immediately had my outgoing tendencies restored. I was, you know, reaching out to every person around me to introduce myself, making friends from all different areas of campus, joining every club under the sun, introducing myself to the people in front of me and behind me in the line of the dining halls. I was so excited to be around different types of people and have broken outside of the Wichita bubble. But what ended up happening is by second semester freshman year, I quickly realized that all of the organizations that I had joined and all the communities that I had become a part of were largely communities that reflected myself. Mm -hmm. I really lacked that Jewish community growing up. And so the minute I got to Penn's campus, I joined every Jewish organization under the sun to really get that experience that I didn't have growing up. But there was a moment where I just took a step back and realized, wow, every single person on campus is doing the same thing I'm doing, but with their respective identity groups. Yep. And aren't we supposed to go to college to meet people from all around the world, all different backgrounds, all walks of life? So true. 
And so with that insight that I learned my sophomore year, I decided to just go for it and put myself out there. I got out of my own way and decided to start a club on campus called Table Talk. And our mission was to help students come together who wouldn't otherwise meet outside of the classroom. So we had a host of different initiatives and activities all around the idea of connection and conversation. And through creating that club, I was able to start actually making a shift on campus and getting people outside of their groups and coming together and making friends that they probably wouldn't have met had it not been for some sort of forum or some sort of catalyst to get people outside of their comfort zones. And so once I started Table Talk, I started talking to some of my friends from home and friends who were at other schools and quickly realized that this wasn't just a pen problem. This was an everywhere problem. Oh, yeah. There's clearly a disconnect on college campuses, and it really felt like a common cold. And I wanted to go out and cure it. And so I quickly started scaling Table Talk um, to different campuses, setting up new chapters. And before I knew it, we had spread Table Talk to over 80 high school and college campuses. Seriously? Yeah. So it was really amazing to work with different campuses in their unique environments and help students make the difference that they wanted to make on their specific environment. That's amazing. Are they still, do they still exist? Yeah. So of course there's some turnover given, you know, there's a quick graduation rate and people either shift their interests or the club doesn't end up becoming what it looked like on another campus. Right. But for the most part, we have some really strong chapters still going at schools around the country. That's so amazing. I'd love to hear that. I think our college campuses are a microcosm of what happens in the world and the outside world. And this is where we're supposed to, just as you said, we're supposed to go out and expand ourselves. And we don't because we're scared, right? We get comfortable in the groups that we're comfortable with. And it's really hard to expand, to broaden and see beyond those comfortable walls that we create for ourselves. And college campuses are filled with communities of people who flock together to belong, like-minded people, fraternities and sororities and clubs and organizations. So I love that you're turning that upside down or that you turned that upside down and tried to create something so different. And now I understand how this has inspired the work you're doing with the conversationalist. Of course. You're taking it out into the world now, beyond the campus. Exactly. And I think I quickly realized through a lot of my classes that I was taking at Penn and through the master's degree that I got after my senior year, there were other ways to create this impact in the world beyond a campus model. And so I wanted to take a step back and figure out at the end of the day, at the very base of this problem, why are young people struggling to have meaningful conversations? And why are we as a generation failing to connect? And so I conducted months of market research to better understand this young adult demographic. And through the research, one of the biggest insights that we learned that came out of the research was that we as young adults fail to have these conversations because we just don't know enough about difficult topics to feel confident or comfortable in broaching these subject matters. And so with that insight, I started doing some brainstorming in thinking, what could I bring to the world that directly solves that problem? And quickly, the conversationalist was born as a content platform to start creating multimedia content around these difficult topics to allow young adults to learn and connect and empathize with different perspectives, different points of view around these topics that we struggle with every day. And, you know, we can't actually have empathy for one another if we can't see each other. 
And so you're creating this beautiful platform to help us see one another. And I think that is the first step to create community and connection with one another. Thank you. Like deep gratitude for what you're doing. I just, I couldn't agree more with what you said in terms of having to see one another in order to foster empathy and our whole platform and the whole mission of what we're doing revolves around the hope of breaking the echo chamber. Right now we are so stuck in these communities of like-minded people with the same belief systems and we'll never be able to actually unify and come together unless we can break open these bubbles, these echo chambers that we exist in to see the other side, to see another perspective. And so being a digital platform has been a really interesting place to start, to expand our reach and really start collecting stories and experiences to expand and open our echo chambers. Hey, guess what? I recently launched my new online meditation membership program where we meet weekly, meditate together, get some coaching tips, and answer questions from the community. It's a drop-in program and you're free to join weekly or just pop in when you need a tune-up. This program is normally $25 a month, but during COVID, I'm offering my community this completely for free. So if you've been curious about meditation and the benefits and want to be in community with other like-minded people committed to living their most empowered lives, I invite you to join now. Try it for a month or two for free and see if you feel more free. There's no obligation, so pop over and register now at annemariecheresso.me. That's A-N-N-M-A-R-I-E-C-H-E-R-E-S-O dot me. And I'll be on the lookout for you. Oh, and don't forget to bring a friend. Welcome back to university. You're listening to my conversation with Sophie Barron of The Conversationalist. Now, we've been talking about Sophie's early roots as a unifier and how she stood out even though she never got elected to student government and how she started The Conversationalist. Let's rejoin the conversation as Sophie gives us her views on inclusion in her work. Such an important topic. You strive a lot for inclusion in your work. Tell me more about what that means to you and like, what's your definition of inclusion? In my mind, if we are going to affect this change of successfully unifying the world and bringing people together, we have to have a community that mirrors the community we're trying to bring to the world. So who we have in our ambassador program and in our community and on our team, we're trying to create this microcosm of what we're hoping to see reflected in the world around us. And so for us, I think it goes beyond the kind of just the background diversity. We have people from all walks of life involved in the work that we're doing, but more importantly, the the inclusion piece that we're really working on now in 2020 is the ideology inclusion piece, starting out and really trying to even break my own echo chamber. It's hard to always have a perfect representation of viewpoints Mm -hmm. in the content that we're putting out there both just for our current reality that young people from our generation aren't as comfortable in sharing their opinions without fear of judgment. Oh my gosh, so big. Yeah, it's so big and something that I struggle with as well. And so I think just the first piece that we're trying to develop with our community is feeling 
comfortable to speak their opinions and share their voices. So right now, a majority of the perspectives that we've seen in our first few months of content have largely been from one side of the spectrum. Um, and not just in terms of politics, but we're really getting viewpoints that seem sometimes one dimensional, although separated by unique experiences. And so our approach is trying to every day seek out new members to join our community and find new people for our podcast and for our multimedia content that will reflect those other viewpoints. So it's a significant challenge, but at the same time, it's at the heart of what we're doing. Um, and if we don't ever create a platform that celebrates all of those different perspectives, I don't think I'm doing my job. And so for me, that's what inclusion is all about, is not just including people for who they are, but also including their points of view. And right now, I think our world, our country, we tend to demonize the other side. I feel like we are incredibly divided, especially at this political period of time. And so I'm hoping that the conversationalists will just restore that humanity for us to see another person's opinion and perspective as valid. You don't have to change your point of view. You don't have to completely agree with another person, but we, we need to humanize one another and respect each other's opinions. So how do you do that with something like politics and political points of view, because this is a very divisive thing. And particularly now in the world as we know it right now, there's so much divisiveness and so many opinions. And one of the things that I teach is I teach how judgment gets in the way of our creativity and our ability to connect and collaborate and all those beautiful things we need to do to innovate together, right? So when we're in a state of judgment, we actually don't have access to the creative part of our brain. We don't have access to, to innovation because we're so shut down. But with politics, it can be really tricky, right? Because people need to hold on to their belief systems to feel like they matter. So how do you break through that? Such a great question. And is honestly one of the most difficult pieces of the work that we're doing. And at a very base level, we try to imbue this idea in all of our young adults that their voices matter, but that their opinions can always evolve and change. It's really just about formulating your own voice and your own opinions before feeling the need to judge someone else's point of view. One of the things I teach is, as you know, I work with a, young, a lot of young adults and I'm a coach and um, righteousness really gets in our way, particularly when I'm working with really passionate people, you know, people who are activists and entrepreneurs and leaders, and they have a lot of fire in them, right? It's important to feel determined and, and sort of right about what you're doing, because what's the fire that keeps you going to do this thing you want to do, right? But at the same time, it's like, how can we relax that just a little bit so we can open our awareness and our consciousness and see how everything can be true, right? So how we can use all that to support our mission. But when we close ourselves off and we become really narrow-minded, we lose perspective. And it's really important to, to maintain perspective. I love that. I think there's a huge piece of righteousness at the intersection of passion that can get in our way. Yeah. And I think a lot of it, unfortunately, is a result of some of the pitfalls of our education system. I think America is one of the only countries where we're taught from such a young age that there is only one truth and yes. one truth only. There's only a right and a wrong, a black and a white, a red and a blue, a left and a right. We 
we can't really see that two things can exist simultaneously. And so a lot of what we're also trying to do is highlight the multidimensionality of a lot of these subjects and these topics that we're struggling with to understand that you can be right in a scenario and I can be right and it doesn't have to be either or. It's difficult for us to wrap our minds around because we weren't taught this from an early age that there can be multiple truths to a scenario. No, we, we live in a world of polarity. In Buddhist philosophy, it's all about there's equanimity. Like everything can be equal. Nothing needs to be right or wrong. But it's it can be difficult for us to see that because we might make it mean we have to let go of something to see someone else's point of view. But once we realize I can actually hold on to my point of view and still have space and hold on to your point of view, then we can all relax and like, okay, this is, this is okay. But this is a very difficult thing to learn. I agree. That's why we try to make it as simple as possible. Everything we're doing on our platform, we're really trying to bring down to earth, make everything digestible, make all of these really difficult topics seem easily accessible so that we don't shy away from them and we can embrace these difficult moments and sit in our own discomfort to start having these conversations. Yeah, which is also really, really hard. So to have compassion and patience with one another as we're navigating it is such an important thing. Two more things before we wrap up. I know you're an entrepreneur and you're a leader. So we were talking about it's the top like words you use to describe yourself and you used empathy and unifier and communicator. And I would add leader and entrepreneur. What are some of your big challenges as a leader and entrepreneur? Because you're still relatively young. You're just recently, shortly out of college. Yes. Yeah. And I most certainly do not know it all. So there are many challenges that I face every day that really keep me grounded and also determined to continue working on this line of work with the conversationalist. So first and foremost, I really struggle with walking the walk. With all of our topics we're covering, all of the people we're featuring on our platform, I'm constantly saying, you know, take these lessons that you're learning and take them to your own life. If we're preaching about mental health and I'm encouraging on our podcast for young adults to take this conversation and go seek out help and encourage others to see a therapist or take time for yourself, I have a hard time actually internalizing that and adding myself into the equation. I... I tend to give all of my time to the work that I'm doing, but rarely take a step back and actually start to, you know, solve the problems that I see in myself. And so sometimes it's hard to feel authentic all of the time when I'm encouraging our young adult community to go out and make these changes in their lives when I'm not doing it myself. And so I've been working on that a lot. Yeah, that's such a big one, I think, for everyone. And there's a way in which social media gives us this platform for looking a certain way on the outside. But then, you know, hey, let's check out what's really going on behind that filter. A hundred percent. And so as we cover the topics of mental health and social media and some of our content, I still struggle in, you know, taking away that filter and that barrier and letting people really see me for me. And so that's been a huge challenge in trying to really practice what we preach at the conversationalist, even from my own perspective. So that's one piece. And in the same vein, something that I really struggle with is also adopting the mentality of sharing your own perspective without fear of judgment. I oftentimes find myself at a crossroads between wanting to take a stance on all the topics we're speaking about and 
really form my own opinions in this, you know, phase of my life. But at the same time, I don't want to influence others' opinions. I want to remain objective and impartial and really reflect the value system of the conversationalist. And so I constantly have this push and pull of not knowing whether I should be sharing my own beliefs or not and where I stand in a lot of the topics we're covering. And so that's a challenge that I'm constantly faced with. So you have, you might have an opinion about something yet you don't necessarily want to speak it because you want to remain neutral as you know, the, the voice behind the conversationalist, but then Sophie gets lost. Right. And at the end of the day, in thinking of who I am as a unifier, the conversationalist is merely the platform by which I can hopefully bring that unifying value to the world. And so I very much am the conversationalist, not in the sense that I am like the figure, the avatar, but the conversationalist is more, more or less so an extension of who I am. Mm-hmm. And so I, I need to figure out where I can actually bring my perspective into the mix. It's hard to know because I I am a human. I am learning alongside all of our community members and every conversation we have. I just struggle in knowing when is the right time to take a stance. Yes. I can imagine that would be a really big struggle. And I'm still working on it and I'm, I'm still learning a lot. And so a lot of the topics that I would take a stance on, perhaps I'm not even ready to take a stance on them, but I want to make sure that I am my most authentic self. And so I never want to be in a position where I'm encouraging everyone around me to share their opinions when I'm not sharing my own. So how do you handle it now? I am starting to put more content out on my own personal social media channels around the topics we're covering. And every now and then I'll kind of insert what I'm thinking into the mix. And also whenever someone responds to one of our open-ended questions, I try to engage in a conversation with that person privately and perhaps get more of my opinions out into the open. But I'm also just trying to practice the art of conversation with my family and my friends and with my team members so that when the time comes and maybe someone puts a mic in my face and says, Sophie, who are you voting for? Or Sophie, what are your political beliefs? Um, Or Sophie, what is your stance on X issue? I feel confident in sharing what I will share. It's a struggle and I'm still learning, but that's definitely one of my most significant challenges. Yeah. And we learn by doing. It's the only way. It's like we learn by, you know, when we touch the stove, we get it's hot. We don't do that again. And when we you know, eat chocolate ice cream, we're like, that's really yummy. I want more of it. I mean, this is just how human beings learn in the world. So we learn through experience. Exactly. And you would never know if you liked the ice cream if you never tried it. So I'm trying to just put myself out there little by little, day by day. Well, it's scary. I can imagine it's really scary. Speaking of fear, like what is your biggest fear? This might sound cliche, but I'm I'm really afraid of dying. I don't really ever talk about it, but I just feel like I have so many things I want to see happen in our world and so many projects that I want to start, so many people I want to meet. I have a fear that at the end of my life, I'm going to look back and have not made an impact. And so I just, I hope I can really dedicate the time that I do have in my life to making a difference so that when I'm standing there at the end of the day, I will have some sort of legacy of really trying to unify the world. So this is a big legacy. (laughs) And do do you find yourself exhausting yourself trying to achieve your goals? I mean, you're really young, you have big mission and goals. It's a lot. You're undertaking a lot. 
and leaders like yourself can tend to overextend themselves, exhaust themselves. Does that happen for you? I am the poster child for overextension and burnout. I most certainly am trying to do it all, but I feel very lucky that I have mentors and incredible friends and family in my life that really help me slow down and recognize that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And I really just need to stay in my own lane, take things day by day and know that yes, it's an incredibly lofty mission and I'm only trying to solve a portion of it, but I am trying to also be kind to myself and slow down a little bit more, especially during this time, um, because I really haven't stopped since we launched this past summer. So it's always go, 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 but I'm really trying to tell myself that, you know, I'm only human. I, I have this mantra that I read every morning that I worked on with my mentor, Rich. That's all about just remembering- are you willing to share it? No, I am. I might not get it perfectly because it's actually still on the wall in my New York apartment because oh. I haven't been back in a while. But there are lines around the concept of I am a unifier. I was put on this earth to unify the world and make others feel special, seen and heard. I am taking this one day at a time. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And then also language around being kind to myself because I'm very, very hard on myself. I'm also the poster child for being a perfectionist and I'm really working on those tendencies, but I'm also trying to insert some language around, I love myself. I'm doing the best I can and I am enough. And I try to say that every day so that every day I'm just making a little bit of progress to actually believe them. So- that's it. That's getting to your unconscious beliefs and thoughts is so important because that's what runs us. If we're not aware of our unconscious thoughts and not reprogramming ourselves with affirmations and mantras every day, we're in trouble. hundred percent. All right. So my very last little prompt for you, mm-hmm. if you're willing, I'm wondering if you might be willing to play a game with me. I would love to. And the game is called... If you really knew me, and the invitation is in the spirit of practicing vulnerability, which is the opposite of what we're all doing on social media, how willing are we to get, you know, really honest? And my invitation to you and future guests, and we're going to play a game on social media and do the same thing, is to answer the question, if you really knew me, and it's like one thing that we would maybe not so readily share or post on social media. I love this game and I hope that I can adopt it in my own way as well. I think vulnerability is the most important currency, especially in this day and age. And I can't believe I'm sharing this. I don't think I ever share this, but if you really knew me, you would know that even though I'm constantly smiling and optimistic and putting out the most perfect curated version of myself online, I actually spend every day really hating myself um, and feeling that I have no self-worth because of my weight. And I have a lot of body image related issues. And I think if you really knew me, you would know that even though I look so happy and put together all of the time, and I'm always go, 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 and trying to put my best foot forward, I don't think a day has gone by probably since the early days of middle school where I haven't like vehemently hated myself. And so that is something very vulnerable. And I know I even sound like optimistic sharing it, but I think that would be my answer to the question. I 
just have such appreciation for your willingness to share so honestly like that. Thank you. You like dove in and played the game. Yeah, we just went from <laughs> zero to 100 real fast. But thank you for providing a platform to have these vulnerable, open and honest conversations, because that is what really matters at the end of the day. Yeah. And when we do that, when we dip our toe in the pool and we're the first ones, it's like the penguins jumping off the cliff. Everyone you create the platform for others to do the same thing. And I'm looking at you and I'm seeing this beautiful face and I don't see what you're seeing when you look in the mirror. And I can totally honor your experience and get how that must be for you. And thank you. Thank you. Sophie, thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you for being you. Thank you for having the courage to be fearless and standing for your mission, knowing who you are, and creating a platform for the next generation of leaders to stand up and you know, build community in a most beautiful way. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Um, and thank you for having me. I'm so grateful that we were able to have this conversation. That was my conversation with Sophie Barron. We've included all of our social media handles in the show notes. You can find out more about The Conversationalist at theconversationalist.com. And thanks, Sophie. I'm so impressed with your commitment and your passion and your ability to unify others. All right, now for some homework. One of the things that we can do when we're practicing being aware, just like Sophie, is we can catch ourselves getting in our own way. We can't let our fears of being judged get in our way. While it's totally normal and human to withhold our personal truths and thoughts and beliefs and feelings for fear of being judged, but when we do, we create disconnection and a feeling of not being fully seen. So today I'd like to invite you to a self-awareness practice where we notice where in your life you're withholding from others for fear of being judged. And it could be in a personal relationship or one at work. It really doesn't matter. As you go about this week in your interactions with others, notice if you're choosing to speak all of what you're thinking in the moment. Start simple. Notice if someone's asking, do you like my outfit? What do you think of this meal? Or something larger like, what is your opinion on this particular political topic? If you notice yourself editing what you're saying, you're withholding. And we withhold out of fear of being judged. We want to control others' opinions of us. We're protecting ourselves, and this makes sense. It's a survival strategy. It's innate. When we feel threatened, we protect ourselves. It's just normal human behavior. Don't judge yourself when you catch yourself. Remember, this is simply a game of self-awareness. Notice where you're withholding your thoughts or beliefs because of your fear of being judged by another. Take one breath of acceptance. Accept yourself in the moment, and maybe next time, you'll make a new choice. When we choose to speak honestly, we're stepping into a place of trust rather than fear. And that is a great place to start a conversation. Okay, that's all for now. May you breathe easily, take it one moment at a time, and keep doing the things you love. And I'll see you next time. University's executive producer is Tyler Green of thestoryproducer.com. This podcast is also produced and edited by Katie Clarkson. The university team also includes Marcia Craig, Ashwath Narayanan from Culture Media, Adam Harris, and Kim Redding. 
University is a production of Bring It Home, founded by Anne-Marie Chiresso. You can find out more at A-N-N-M-A-R-I-E-C-H-E-R-E-S-O dot me. Or follow us at Anne-Marie Chiresso on Instagram. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast app and write us a review. It really does help us have more of an impact in the world. Thanks so much for listening in, and I look forward to seeing you next time.